Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for your word uh, that we have an opportunity now to reflect upon. Uh, Jesus, I pray that this would not be merely an intellectual exercise, um, but would be uh, a way for us to connect with you, um, to bear our hearts, um, even as this woman did in her service to you, and Lord, that you would help us to evaluate um, our lives, that we might honor you and bless you um, with all that we have and all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Pyramid schemes are the worst. I started with an opinion last week, and there's another one for you. Uh, As a sophomore in college, I began my first woodworking business. Uh, I I spent time in the courtyard of my apartment complex uh, turning pins, uh, writing pins, that is. And I even uh, made myself a business card for the first time. Uh, On the card, I wrote a title for my company as Pins by Balfour. And I gave myself the title Exotic Wood Craftsman. Uh, I I chuckle, as you did, uh, as I think back on that time in my life. But I was sincere. I was eager. And I wanted to try my hand uh, at business. One day, I learned of a craft show that was taking place in my town. And so I quickly uh, produced 10 of my best pins with my best CA finish. I outfitted a display case, and I paid the fee to get a table at the event. Many people stopped by my table, but two hours into the event, I hadn't sold anything, and I was beginning to get discouraged when a man approached my table and complimented my work. Uh, he, was, uh, he worked for a, a startup natural gas company. Uh, the city of Atlanta had deregulated its energy, and so new companies were popping up, some with, um, I'd say, more interesting business models than others. <clears throat> This individual uh, said that he would love to, to purchase maybe up to 100 pens um, to give as gifts to his clients. So as a 19-year-old, I was very excited and felt that the event was worthwhile. He gave me his business card and said to email him on Monday. And so I did, eager to receive my first major order. He responded to my email by saying that he wanted me to become a member of his company to be a junior-level sales associate. I said, hey, thanks so much. I'm I'm not interested. How many pins would you like? To which he responded, that was actually a prerequisite. I needed to join his company. I I needed to spend the $400 investment fee, and then I would be his exclusive dealer. So uh, he said, look, it's not going to take you long to make up that $400, just come on. Well, uh, that was the last email that I exchanged with him. I share this story with you uh, because today we're going to be talking about engaging. We're going to be talking about investing in the work of the kingdom of God. And the reality is some of you will feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? It might feel a little bit like a pyramid scheme, perhaps. But I want to assure you this morning I know that uh, in some places there are nefarious motives, but here at Grace, we're not trying to use you. Uh, We're not trying to pull together resources so it can flow upstream, so we can live a life of luxury and leisure. 
Um, we're trying to bring together the resources we have in order to love and serve the city around us. But more than anything, our desire this morning for you and for ourselves uh, is that we might give more and more of our hearts to Jesus um, because that is the greatest treasure that we possess. Um, this is the final sermon in a series called Faith in Practice. Uh, we spent the last two and a half months looking at the seven statements of our community covenant. Uh, the purpose of this has been to uh, try to consider what makes us particular. What is God calling us to do as a local expression of his much larger, broader body of Christ? Uh, we did this in large part because having unity in our belief, our purpose, and our direction is essential for us to move forward together on mission. There's been a lot of changes over the last year and a half. I'm sure you agree. Um, and sometimes when there's lots of changes, it's easy to lose track of who we are. What is God calling us to do? What makes us uh, who we are? And so that's been our goal in this time, to really just reaffirm that, to reconsider that. And especially on a practical note, um, to help those who are interested in joining, becoming formal members of grace, um, to really explore the things that which we believe uh, and the ways in which we're trying to work um, together. So this is still an ongoing process. In the spring, we'll have our first membership class. And up till then, uh, anyone who feels ready, who hasn't yet, to sign the Community Covenant can do so. Um, the sermon series ends here, but the conversation can continue just as anyone needs. All right, the last uh, statement here is on the screen. I'd actually like us all to read it um, together. I commit to share in the life of grace through worshiping regularly, receiving communion, and contributing to the health of the church as the Lord enables me by gifts of my time, talent, and treasure. Of all the statements in the covenant, this is the most practical and action-oriented. Uh, by affirming this, we're committing to be engaged and invested uh, in the following uh, aspects of our communal life. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, service, and outreach. Um, these activities cover our relationship with God, our relationship one to the other within the body of Christ, as well as our relationship to those who uh, do not yet know the Lord in the outside world, so to speak. Um, engagement involves consistent participation, to be faithfully present, not disengaged or distracted. Uh, investment involves leveraging our resources, our time, our abilities, our finances, towards the end, uh, which Scripture calls us to, as well as to the particular opportunities that God has given us as a community. Uh, there's lots of different ways that we can engage and invest. And uh, in the weeks to come, we hope to share with you a 2022 ministry plan, uh, which will outline some practical, uh, tangible needs um, that we believe God is calling us to meet in our city. Um, so the how is coming. But today, this morning, I'd like us to reflect on those scripture passages and consider why. Why engage? Why invest? Our first passage contains both uh, an example and a counterexample of engaging and investing in God's work. It comes from the book of Acts. I'll venture a guess that uh, most of you have never heard a 
sermon on this passage before. Um, And if you have, um, it probably is a bit confusing uh, and disturbing. Uh, If I'm I'm honest, even after a week of study and preparation, it still sits that way with me. So let me acknowledge right off the bat that there are tensions in this passage that confront our basic theological frameworks. Um, It challenges our understanding of God's goodness and his mercy. Uh, I don't have a great answer to those tensions this morning, and I actually don't think that should be our primary focus. Um, I think our focus should be, Lord, what would you have us learn? How might we grow um, in light of this story? But I don't want to cheapen the fact that it is hard, and if anyone would like to spend some time discussing, I'm not sure we'll land anywhere, but if we can discuss this further, I would, I'd love to do that with you. So that's an open offer for coffee uh, at some point. But I think there is something that we can learn. And uh, as we unpack it, I want to mention one last thing, and, and that is this. The, there are things that we should see in the story uh, which inspire um, a, a bit of conviction in us. Right? There, we should feel a bit convicted as we read these passages. Um, but I want to remind you that the Lord's conviction, the Lord's correction is always accompanied by his peace. Not by shame. Right? The enemy uses shame to make us feel trapped. The Lord brings his peace to give us correction and to help us walk in the way that he's calling us to. So as you wrestle and unpack these things this morning, pay attention to that um, and ask the Lord for his peace and for his direction. All right, the context of this story of Ananias and Sapphira is laid out in Acts 4, verses 32 to 37. We're told here and earlier in Acts chapter 2 that the early believers, particularly in the city of Jerusalem, lived in a radically communal way. Listen again to this description. Now the full member of those full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold And laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. As I read this passage this morning, a detail stuck out to me for the very first time. Um, Just a moment ago, I read to you three sentences, right? The first and the third sentence both describe this way of communal living, this way of caring for each other as well as the needy among them. But right there in the middle, is a description of how they preached the gospel, how they testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's why I think it matters that that sentence is sandwiched by these two um, clear descriptions of their practices. There's a relationship between faith and action. That's what we've been trying to uncover in this series. What is the, the faith and the practice that makes us distinct? Their belief in the resurrection of Jesus changed the way they lived their lives. Just as Jesus had given his all to the believers, 
They're giving their all to one another and to the sharing of this good news far and wide. So I think the first question we can ask the Holy Spirit this morning is this. Does our involvement in the life of the church undergird or undermine our belief in Jesus? With this backdrop, we learn of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Like the others, uh, they too liquidate an asset of theirs. But rather than bring the whole of that sale to the apostles, they bring a portion. And Ananias keeps back a portion for himself. It's helpful to consider and understand what's happening here in light of a, a, a theological concept called consecration. To consecrate something is to set it apart, to set it aside for the purposes of being used to honor and glorify God. When we consecrate something, we give up our rights to it completely. Um, This is like in the Old Testament when they would consecrate an animal for a sacrifice. They wouldn't bring a portion of that animal, right? Two-thirds is a lot of the animal, but it, it misses the mark in terms of consecration. It's holding back when we vowed to give everything. There's another element here, too, and this is the thing that Peter speaks of very clearly in his rebuke of both of them. They intended, uh, as they brought this offering forward, they intended the believers, the apostles, uh, they intended them to believe they had given everything. They, they, they tried to present it as if it were the entire sale of that property. The, the, the entire amount of the sale was given as an offering. But that, in fact, is not true. <laughs> Peter responds uh, to Ananias in this way. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Uh, Peter's response helps us understand the nature of Ananias' sin. It has a lot less to do about money and a lot more to do about deception. Peter acknowledges that the property was his. He could do with it what he pleased. It also was his after he sold it. The, The money was his to use as he saw fit. But Ananias wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He kept back a portion of the sale, sort of like a nest egg, an insurance policy, if you will. Perhaps the church thing wasn't going to work out. He had a backup plan. And yet at the same time, he presented himself as if he had given everything that he might participate in this incredibly radical, beautiful community that he saw before him. And so he's called out because more than anything, he's attempted to lie to God and he drops dead. Great fear grips the people. 
And the young men come forward to take his body away to be buried. Next, enter Sapphira, and matters get worse. From the beginning of the story, we are told that she has been along. She's been a partner in the planning and the execution of this sin. Peter asks her if the amount that was presented was the full sale of that property. And this is how she responds. Remember, she had a chance to come clean, to confess the lie, but she doesn't. And she said, yes, for so much. As in, we sold it for so much, the amount that we brought you. But Peter said to you, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried you, your husband, are at the door, and they will carry you out. She too dropped dead and was buried with her husband. All right, what can we learn from this? How, How can we process this heavy, weighty matter? I think the first thing is this. We need to remember that we can fool each other. We can pretend to be all in. We can pretend to be wholly dedicated to the Lord, consecrated completely to him. But God knows when we're holding back and when we're using him and his people for our own gains. I am painfully aware of how easy this is for me to do as a pastor. I have a platform. I have distance. I have the appearance, perhaps, um, of, of being fully in. And I also know that when pastors act that way but are not that way, there's incredible damage that is done in people's hearts and to the church. So let me say all that to say I'm here in this hard place of processing this word too. I don't think I'm above it. I'm trying to press into it as well. We each and every one of us have to do this. And so I think uh, this morning, the call is for us to be honest first with ourselves Uh, Then to be honest with God, (laughs) that could look like confession perhaps. And then to be honest with our fellow sisters and brothers in the Lord about where we are. Um, God is not expecting perfection from us. um, But if we try to deceive ourselves, um, the the fruit of it um, is death. Maybe not right away like Ananias and Sapphira. Um, But ultimately, if we're not committed to the Lord, um, if we haven't given our hearts to him, um, there is just death ahead of us. So by God's grace, uh, let's repent. Let's receive the the forgiveness, the the mercy of God, which is available in Christ. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 7, Um, perhaps a slightly lighter note. Jesus is having dinner at the house of a prominent Pharisee a religious leader from his day. When a woman of poor reputation enters the room and makes a scene, she weeps at Jesus' feet, wetting his feet with her tears. She dries them with her hair, and then she anoints them with an expensive alabaster jar of perfume. The host 
is not moved. He's incensed. And in fact, he loses respect for Jesus that he would allow a woman such as her to touch him. It's below him, according to the Pharisee, or it ought to be. But Jesus knows his thoughts, and he offers him a bit of a riddle. He says this, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon, the Pharisee, answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus goes on to say that the service of this woman to him is motivated by love and by gratitude. She recognizes her need for his mercy and grace. And her act of of service uh, honors Jesus. In response to this, Jesus honors the woman amongst uh, people who are looking down upon her. And her story, her example is still told 2,000 years later. A beautiful picture of being true, being real, and coming to Jesus with the things uh, which we need. We can learn several things uh, from this as it relates to engaging and investing this morning. First, we must remember that all, all are welcome at the feet of Jesus. There hopefully will be people who come through our doors that uh, we wouldn't normally expect to do so. Um, People that um, perhaps, if we're honest, we don't think deserve to be able to do so. Um, But we have to ask the Lord to help check our hearts and change our hearts that we might be merciful and generous and kind, just as Jesus is, to whoever comes forward to present their offering to the Lord. We also should be careful not to judge that offering as uh, insignificant because Jesus clearly sees and is blessed by the work that this um, woman uh, has done for him. So here's a question. Are we ready to welcome into our worship, into our time of communion, people who are of ill repute, the least and the last? By God's grace, I hope so. Secondly, we must remember that when we offer things to the church and when we offer things to the least and the last, those who are needy, we know that we're giving those things first and foremost to Jesus. Uh, When we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure in the work of the church, Jesus sees it and he's honored by it. It's possible that from time to time, you'll feel that the investment that you have made in this church body is being underutilized and perhaps even squandered. When and if that happens, I want to invite you not to pull back in protest, but to press in in faithfulness. As a leader in this church, I know that I will stand before Jesus and I will give an account for how I use the resources that were entrusted to my care. 
And so I want to invite you in those moments to come to us, to share with us the concerns, any that you might have, that we might together discern, ask the Spirit to help us know how best to live on mission. But don't just disengage and go away. Y'all, Jesus sees us. He really sees us. He sees the small things that we do to love and serve one another. They're not insignificant to him. He's blessed and honored by them. He also sees us when we put on airs, when we try to look more holy, more committed, more loving than we actually are. So let's stop worrying about recognition, about being flashy, and just be faithful. Let's be devoted to worshiping Jesus, to sharing in his body and blood through the sacrament of communion, and to serving his body and the watching world in humility. I'm inviting you this morning to engage and invest here at Grace not for my benefit and not solely for yours either. I'm not trying to sell you anything and you don't have to invite 10 friends to level up. (laughs) But all you have, all you need is already yours in Christ. By his death and resurrection, he paid the incredible price that you couldn't pay, that I couldn't pay. So, for the sake of your heart, however you engage, however you invest, that's up to you. But I pray that you would give more and more of yourself to Jesus and to the advancement of his kingdom, however he might lead you. I'm going to close with this blessing from Psalm 90, verse 17. Uh, If you put your arms out like this, and we'll just receive it together. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the works of our hands for us. Yes, establish the works of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your peace and your presence, even as we uh, struggle to understand hard scripture, difficult passages. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning for anyone uh, who is feeling shame right now. I ask that your Holy Spirit would cut through that fog, bring your peace, and bring your direction, Lord. God, we know that we cannot earn our salvation, and that's really not what we're talking about here. Um, We know that we can't give all of ourselves apart from your grace, first acting and moving and working in our hearts and our lives. And so, Jesus, we come to you humbly, truly, honestly. Lord, we come to you uh, in some sense like pre-fall, naked, fully visible. And we ask, Jesus, that you would help us to love and honor you, to serve you in the ways that you deserve, and to care for one another as you've instructed us to do. We We need your help, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.